knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week we started looking at one of the areas that is most important when we look at Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency being declared, and that's in the relationships that we have within family. And there's two vital relationships that there are within family. There's the relationship between husband and wife, and also the relationship between parent and child. And last week we looked at the commands that the Word of God gave us here with the relationship between husband and wife, and if you missed that, uh, you can go onto the website and listen to it. But this morning we're going to be looking at another very important relationship and the commands that God gives to two other groups of people, and that is parents and children. You know, this is such an important relationship to understand from a biblical perspective because, you know, our culture today has all sorts of ideas of, you know, what the role and responsibility of a parent and a child are. And many of those roles, many of those responsibilities that the culture is saying to us really contradict and go against what the Word of God shares. And so as Christians, we need to understand what God says is the role of a parent, what God says is the responsibility of a parent, what God says is the role and responsibility of children so that we understand what God commands us to do. And so let's see what we can learn here in these very important roles. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says this, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged." So the first group that Paul here gives a a command to are children. And the command that is given to children is obey your parents in all things. Now the Greek word here translated obey means to listen to, to hearken to a command, to do as you're told, to be obedient to. So Paul is saying that the child role, the responsibility of the child is to obey their parents, to listen to them, to hearken their commands, to do as they're told. And Paul goes on to give the extent of what that obedience should be, and it says, obey your parents in all things. Now, any of you who have children, and all of us were children, so I'm sure we can relate to the reality that children typically only want to obey in the things that they want to do. Uh, So to obey in all things that the parent wants is not something that a child often wants to do. So when you say clean the dishes or or stop playing your video game or or do your homework, there's often this, no, I don't want to obey that because that's not something that I want to do. And so Paul wants to make clear the extent of obedience that a child should show their parents is in all things, not just the things that you want to obey. You see, obedience doesn't mean you get to pick and choose. The only way obedience happens is when you completely obey. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. Obedience only takes place when you do all that you've been commanded to do. Our daughter, Eden, she doesn't really like to clean her room. I'm sure others can relate to that reality, but, you know, we'll tell her to clean her room, and oftentimes she'll go in there, and she'll be in there for hours, and, you know, she's supposed to be cleaning her room, and then she'll come out and be like, Dad, it's clean. And I always got to check because I'm not too convinced when she says that just because of her track record. And so there's one of two things that often happens. I'll come in and nothing's been cleaned. You know, and it's like, what have you been doing for the last couple hours? And then actually have the audacity to say that the room's clean or more commonly, it's partly clean. And so, you know, she's just taken a bunch of stuff, maybe thrown it in the closet or, you know, she's cleaned up a little bit, but it's just partly done, not all the way done. And so both of them are not 
disobedient. The first is just outright clear disobedience. She didn't do anything that I told her to do. And the second was a partial attempt to do what I said, but still both of them were disobedience. And we need to recognize for real obedience to happen, you have to do everything that you've been commanded to do. And I think this is something that's so important. You know, we're looking at the role of a child to a parent, but you know, as children of God, to our heavenly Father, God does not accept partial obedience. And he, you know, he doesn't say, well, oh, you've been obedient to me if you're only partially obedient. He says, no, you have been disobedient. Because the only way we can truly be obedient is if we do all that God tells us to do. You know, a good example of this is with King Saul. God commanded King Saul to do something that he's now the leader of the army of Israel. And if you know from the story of the Exodus, the children of Israel leave uh, the nation of Egypt under slavery, and they're ambushed by the Amalekites. And the Amalekites pick off the weak. They pick off the women and children and murder them. And God speaks at that point in time saying, there is going to be big repercussions for the Amalekites for the horrible acts that they've done against the children of Israel by killing innocent women and children. And so now is the time for God's retribution. And he tells King Saul, I want you to wipe out all the Amalekites and all of their animals. I want you to kill them all. And Saul's response is, okay. He goes and he takes the Israelite army. He starts this battle with the Amalekites. He starts killing the Amalekites. But then he decides, you know what? Let's keep the king alive because this is an important person and we might be able to get something for him. And you know what? There's a lot of choice sheep, a lot of choice camels, a lot of choice animals. Let's keep them alive as well. And so he does. And the reality is that was only partial obedience because God said, no, no, I want you to wipe them all out. And so God says, Samuel... And Saul's sitting there saying, oh, Samuel, I've been so obedient. I did what the Lord said. And, and then Samuel says, then, then what's the bleeding of sheep that I hear? Why is it I hear these animals if you had killed them all like God said you should have? You know, why, why do I hear them over there? Well, you know, we decided to keep these animals because, I mean, we can, we can sacrifice them to the Lord. I mean, we could do something good with them. And God sends a message with Samuel to Saul. And ultimately the message is, I am going to remove you as king. Why? Because you're not obedient to me. His partial obedience, God saw as disobedience, and the consequence was removal from that role as king. And one of the messages that Samuel gives, it's a long one, I'm not going to share all of it. It's 1 Samuel 15:22. We're told this. So Samuel said. Has the Lord as great delight in birth offerings and sacrifices as obeying in the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now, when you look at the sacrificial system, you look at the significance of what God placed on that system. For God here now to say through Samuel to Saul, you know what? I value obedience even more than the sacrifice that you want to offer to me. I'd rather have your obedience. Oh, yeah, you could you know, offer up an animal. You, know, you could give me this or that. But you know what I really want? I want your obedience, and that wasn't something you were willing to offer. Something we need to understand is God wants our complete obedience because anything less than complete obedience isn't obedience at all. And with the command to children to obey your parents in all things, God is saying, children, I want complete obedience. Not just when you want to, not just when you feel like it, not just when you know it suits you. In all things, I want you to demonstrate obedience to me. Now, there is one very important exception to this command of obedience in all things. And I think it's important for us to recognize, important for us to note, something that we've noted in all the different roles of obedience or submission. There's one area where a parent should not be obeyed. And that is when a parent asks a child to sin. If a parent asks a child to sin, then the child should not and is not commanded by God to obey that command from the parents. And this is something that, you know, we've seen with any role of submission, any role of obedience with a wife and her submission to a husband. Well, if a husband asks her to sin, she shouldn't submit to that. You know, a child shouldn't submit or obey to a parent who's asking them to sin. And so there's that relationship with God that supersedes any other relationship. And ultimately, we have to obey God and make sure that we don't sin against him. 
Uh, and so this is something that, you know, if a parent says, hey, you know what, you should lie, well then, yeah, you shouldn't obey that sin. But here's the thing that sometimes we go to extremes. Well, if my parent ever asked me to sin, then I'm never going to obey anything else they say. Well, if your parent says lie, don't do it. But if they turn around the next word, they say take out the trash. Guess what? You don't get to say, well, you told me the lie, so I don't have to obey you at all. No, you only have to and only get to not obey when they're commanding you to do something sinful. If they're not commanding you to do something sinful, then God says obedience is what I require of you. So Paul starts off here commanding children to obey their parents in all things. And then he goes on to do something very important, to give a good reason why. You know, that's something that kids often ask anyway. You know, anybody who has kids, they want to say, well, why? Why do I got to do it? Why do I got to obey? Why anything that you tell them to do? And so it's great that Paul gives a good motivation, a good reason for why obedience to parents is so important. Notice what we're told at the end of verse 20. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Here Paul gives the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason why a child should obey their parents, the ultimate motivation for a child's obedience should be because they want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. See, once again, if we we're brought back to that relationship with God. In all the relationships that the Bible challenges us in, we need to recognize our relationship with God is going to have a direct impact on every other relationship. And so ultimately, if I'm wanting to be well-pleasing to the Lord, then I'm going to be a husband who loves my wife. If I want to be well-pleasing to the Lord, as a child, I'm going to be obedient to my parents. That everything that I'm doing ultimately is for the motivation of, I want to obey God, I want to please God. That is the ultimate reason and motivation. And if I'm not willing to do it for that reason, guess what? i got a problem in my relationship with God. If I'm not willing to do it for Him then that shows an issue in my relationship with him. And so when a child is disobedient to their parent, that's not just a sin against their parent, it's a sin against God. Why? Because God's the one who commanded them to obey. And so when they're disobeying their parents, they're sinning against their parents, but they're also sinning against God who gives them this very important command, role, and responsibility. You know, Christians have typically divided the Ten Commandments into the first four that we say kind of deal with God and the next six that deal with our fellow man. But it's interesting that the Jews actually broke it down between first five and second five. The first five, they associated more with our relationship with God and the second five in our relationship with others. And the one that's different between what we typically do and what the Jews do is the fifth command, honor your father and mother. You see, for the Jews, they associated that more with obedience to God, that that had more of a connection to God than even it did to parents because they recognized this was such an important thing in doing this before and towards the Lord because God calls us to do it. So the ultimate motive, the ultimate reason why a child should obey their parents is because they want to obey with God and be well-pleasing to Him. Now, unfortunately... We live in a culture that feeds our kids, and it feeds everybody, it feeds us as well, a very big lie. And that big lie is that everything is all about me. Life is all about me. This narcissistic approach towards life causes our children to believe a lie that everything's about my happiness, about my goals, about my wants, about my desires. That's what life is all about. And now we have social media that has just magnified that narcissism even more. They're consumed with, you know, how many Facebook friends do I have? You know, you know how many Instagram followers? How many people are liking my status? All this is just kind of feeding this idea that I'm so important, my life is so, you know, it's all about me. You know, and I see posts and I think, man, my, I look at it and think, I don't care that you just went to Starbucks and got a coffee. You know, that, oh, who cares? That's my mindset. But then I see like 10 people post on it. I go, well, I guess some people do care. You know, but it's just, you know, we live in this culture where it's like everything that I do, even the most irrelevant things are things that I want likes, are things that I want comments, things that I want people to say, look at what I'm doing. And unfortunately, it feeds this mindset that life is all about me. But what Paul says here should motivate a child 
ultimately challenges this lie. It's not all about me. It's all about God. It's not about being well-pleasing to me. It's about what is well-pleasing to him. And that should be the thing that really changes the way in which we think, because if we can get our children to understand that, what a huge difference. And when they realize life's not all about them, it's not about doing what they want, it's ultimately about God and serving him and pleasing him, what a difference it'll make for their life. You know, this is what Jesus' life was all about. He didn't live for himself. He was always living to please the Father. Constantly he was saying, I'm doing this for the Father. And we see several times throughout the Gospels that God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. If that's our desire, if that's our heart, if we want to hear those words, you know, hey, at the end, when we stand before the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, I'm pleased with what you're doing and did in this life, then we got to live to please God, not to please ourselves. So ultimately, a child should obey their parents, not because they agree with their parents, not because they're afraid of punishment. Ultimately, the reason they should do it is because they want to be obedient to the Lord and to be well-pleasing to Him. Now, this is not something that is natural for a child. And this is where, as parents, we need to help them get to this place. They don't naturally say, oh, I'm going to obey you because I want to be well-pleasing to the Lord and I want to you know, do this for God. No. I mean, first got to get them to a point where they actually accept the Lord. But you know, this is something where, as parents, we have many opportunities that I think we let pass by. Because we command things of our kids. And so often they ask that question, well, why do I have to do this? And we have some typical responses that we give. One of the most common is, because I say so. And that's all there is to it. Now go do it. Or we'll say, you know, if you don't, (laughs) the discipline's coming. So you make your choice. And I don't think it's wrong to, to bring those things to our children, but there are also opportunities in that to say, you know what, there's an even greater reason for your obedience. There's an even more important reason for why you should do this. Recently, I had this conversation with Eden. I finally think she's getting it in her brain a little bit to help her see, you know what, you shouldn't just obey your dad or mom just because we tell you to or just because you're going to get disciplined if you don't. You do this ultimately because if you don't, you're disobeying God. Do you want to obey God? Yes. Well, this is one of the ways you do it. You want to be well-pleasing to him? Well, this is one of the ways you do it and helping them see that there is a connection to their relationship with God because he is the ultimate one who has commanded them to do this. And this is also great for us as parents because when we have, you know, what's right and what's wrong and, oh, you're just trying to ruin my fun or whatever, we want to bring it back to you. No, this is what God's word says. This is why we've established this standard. I know the world says, oh, my friend gets to. Well, you know what? God says you can't. And so that's why you're not going to do it. It's not because dad's a mean jerk. It's because I'm holding you to the standard that God wants you to have for your life. And help them to recognize that standard. Help them to see that as a young child. So the first command that Paul gives is to children. Well, you know, an important thing for us to do right now is to define what a child is. So that we can know who is this command going out to. A great question to answer is, is when does a person leave this child status? You know, is it based on their age? Is it based on maturity? Is it based on independence? You know, what gets a child from child status to adult status, from where they're no longer under this role and this responsibility? Well, the Greek word that Paul uses here, translated child, is technon. It's a word that not only refers to a son or a daughter of a parent, but it's more specific than that. It has in mind a son or daughter who is still in their parents' house, still taken care of by their parents, and under their parents' authority. Now, all of us have parents. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. All of us start out in this child role where, you know, we have our parents, we live in their home, they provide for us, they are the authority in our life. But you know what? There comes a time when we're no longer in that child state. There comes a time when we become adults and we take authority over our own lives. You know, one instance of this is seen in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, it's a biblical thing for a man to find a woman that he wants to marry, and before he marries her, to say, you know, right, now it's time for me to leave my parents' home, leave the authority that I have there, leave the provision that they provide for me, and go get my own place, go start my own home, and now join to my wife, and we now move into this new status of our own place and our own home. We call it to leave and to cleave. And this is speaking about leaving your parents. So this Greek word is not just speaking about a young kid. <clears throat> Sometimes we hear the word child and we just say, oh yeah, we have someone under the age of 10 or whatever. No, this is not just speaking about young children. It's anyone who are still in their parents' home, under their parents' provision, under their parents' authority, then they would fit under this Greek word. They would fit into this category. And so until you grow up and take responsibility and authority over your own life, you're living on your own, you're providing for yourself, you're still in this child status. And so that means that you can be in this child status in your 20s. Some people are in this child status in their 30s. And I recognize that, you know, there are different reasons why 20 and 30-year-olds are still living at home, still being provided for by their parents. You know, for some of them, they just don't want to leave. They're just lazy. They don't want to get a job. They don't want to get out. They just think, this is life so easy. My parents just take care of me. That's not good. That's not healthy. It's time to get up, grow up, and, and get out. But there are other people, that's not the reason at all. Maybe they're in school, and you know they got student debt, and they're trying to pay off things, and they're just trying to be responsible and wise, and so they're staying at home. Or you know, there's other reasons that aren't bad reasons why maybe you know they can't get the job that they're looking for, and so they can't move out because they can't make enough money. That's fine. But here's the reality. Even if you're in that status where you're like, hey, you know what? I'm just trying to pay off a little bit of student loan before I move out. If you're still under your parents' roof, and they're still providing for you, you're still in that child status, and you still need to obey them. Well, I'm 25 years old. Well, move out if you don't want to be in that status anymore. You know, that's your choice of whether you want to get out and do that, but if you're still under their roof, and they're still providing for you, and they're still, that means you still are under their rules, and you still are in that role of obedience. You know, when I was living in my parents' home, there were rules in that home, certain things I could do, certain things that I couldn't do, and a lot of those rules I didn't like. I didn't like that I had a curfew. I didn't like that I had a bedtime. I didn't like that there were certain TV shows that I wasn't allowed to watch. I didn't like that I couldn't watch the TV as long as I wanted to. You know, there were a lot of rules that I didn't agree with, but guess what? It didn't matter. <laughs> I was in my parents' home under their rules, and guess what? I was called to obey them whether I liked those rules or not. But now that I've moved out, grown up, have my own family, if my parents were now to try to you know, enforce their rules upon me, well, I don't have to obey that anymore because I'm no longer in that child status. But when I was under their authority, under their provision in their home, I was. And under God's command, I needed to obey them. So obedience is not something that is lifelong to your parents. It's something that's only for the time that you're under their authority, under their provision, in their home. Once you move out of that, then you're no longer in that child role and no longer in that having to obey them in all things. But there is something that we are commanded to do for our parents that lasts the whole life. We might move out of the house and we're no longer in that child role of obedience, but there's a role that if you have a parent that's still living, I don't care how old you are, there's something that the Bible tells us that we still need to show our parents. Ephesians 6, 2, and 3 says this, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. The Greek word here translated honor means to esteem, to show respect and recognition. As we already noted, one of the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment, is honor your father and mother. And notice within the Ten Commandments, it doesn't say children. It doesn't give some you know, qualification of, well, well, you're in this kind of status of in the home and, and under the parent's authority and under their provision. That's the only time you have to honor them. No, if you have a living parent, no matter what age you are, God calls us to honor that parent. And there's a difference between obedience to them and honoring them, esteeming them, showing respect to them. So obeying your parents is a limited thing, 
but honoring them is something that we do for the rest of our lives. And we should always show that, no matter how old we are. And for some of us, that's easy. Why? Because our parents are great. They've raised us well. We have a good relationship with them. And so, you know, it's just a natural thing. I want to show them honor. I want to show them respect and esteem. Why? Because, you know, they're great parents. But for others, it's not easy at all. Because they have jerks for parents. They have people who have treated them horribly, still do. It's a really difficult thing. You don't feel like they deserve any honor, any respect from you for the way in which they treat you and the way in which they live their life. And so it can be a really hard thing. And this is why we got to come back to, well, why should we do it? What's the motivation? What's the reason? It's not because they're deserving. Just like husbands don't love their wives just because the wife is deserving, they do it unto the Lord no matter if she's deserving or not. Children don't obey their parents just because their parents are deserving. They do it unto the Lord, whether their parents are deserving or not. Children honor their parents, whether their parents are deserving or not. It has nothing to do with the deserving. and has everything to do with God calls me to do it, and so I'm going to be obedient to him and show honor to my parents. You know, I think it's interesting that Peter shares a principle with wives. That wives can do something towards a husband who's unbelieving, a husband who's ungodly, that will impact that husband in a great way. And I personally believe that that principle also works between the child and the parent's role as well. This is the principle that Peter shares with us in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So Peter is telling wives, hey, you know what? You can do something amazing. You can win over your ungodly and maybe unsaved husband. How? By your submissive and respectful behavior. Now notice the husband doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve submission. He doesn't deserve respect. He's ungodly. He's not following the Lord. He might even be you know, an unbeliever. So it's not like she's doing it because he deserves it. But notice what this principle is. That if you do it, you can impact your husband for Jesus. You know, there's so many wives who are like, I pray night and day for my husband to get saved. But I'm not going to submit to him. I'm not going to show him respect. When you want him to get saved, add to your prayers a change in your behavior. Because what Peter says is, hey... That's something that can move a husband to come to the Lord. But you know what? I bring that principle up because I believe in the same way, in that child-parent relationship, we're called to honor. We're called to show that respect. And I believe that when we do that towards a parent, it can draw them to Christ. It can be something that helps motivate them to come to Jesus. And I know probably many of you have unbelieving parents or at least just ungodly parents and you've been praying for years that they would get saved or they'd start living the life that they should. But like, I'm never going to honor them. I'm never showing respect to them. Do you understand how they raised me? Do you understand what they did for me? And I would say, you know what? Don't just pray. Watch what happens when you also demonstrate that honor unto the Lord, not because they're deserving, but because God commands it of you and see what happens, what God can do with that honor, with that respect to impact them for Jesus Christ. So Paul says that honoring your parents, notice is a commandment with a promise. And it's a great promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Here's another reason why. Well, I don't want to honor my parents. They don't deserve it. Why should I do that? Well, here's a great reason. It'll be well with you and you'll live long on the earth. This is the promise that God gives to those who will honor their parents. God's going to say, you know what? You do that, I'm going to bless you. It's going to be well with you because you do that. And there's going to be something else. You're going to live longer because of it. Now, the implication to this is, If you don't honor your parents, it's not going to be well with you, and it's going to shorten your life. There's practical realities to that. Disobedient kids do a lot of stupid things, and they die earlier. But, you know, there's also just the reality of God, and he's saying, hey, there's a blessing that comes to honoring, and there's a lack of one that comes to those who don't honor their parents. There's long life that comes to those who honor, and there's short life to those who don't. So Paul starts off with this important command to children. Now he's going to move on to parents, verse 21. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, the Greek word that's used here, translated fathers, can also be translated parents. Uh, it's speaking of both father and mother. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we see the same exact Greek word, but it's translated parents instead of father. Hebrews 11:23. by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. That same Greek word that's used here in Colossians, because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So this is not just saying fathers, it's not just the role of fathers, this is speaking of both father and mother, and it was typical actually in that culture to just refer to both parental unit as fathers, because in the culture the father had all the rights and rule and power over the kids, Uh, and so often they would speak to the father, but really speaking both to both parents. So as Paul here is referencing this, this is not just to fathers, it's to mothers as well, and notice the command to us parents. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This Greek word translated provoke means to stir up, to incite, to irritate, to anger, to provoke. You know, last week we saw the wife's given a difficult command. She's given this command of submission to her husband, but God, in his great wisdom, protects that wife with the command that he gives to the husband. Love her. See, it's not hard to submit to someone who loves you like Christ loves the church. And so he protects the wife with the command that he gives to the husband. But we see the same thing here with the child-parent relationship. The child is called to obey that parent. Not so easy. And this is where God protects that child and says, Yeah, well, you parents, don't provoke your children. I'm going to watch out for the children. They're called to uh, obey you, and now I'm making sure that you do not provoke them. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. The duties are mutual. Scripture maintains an equilibrium. It does not lay down commands for one class and then leave the other to exercise whatever tyrannical oppression it may please. The child is to obey, but the father must not provoke. Parents, we need to be very careful not to do things that provoke our children. And I think there are things that we do that provoke them that sometimes it's not even purposeful. Sometimes we're not even aware that this is something that's provoking them. And I just want to give you four examples. There's more than this. But, you know, if you're doing this, you're going to be provoking your kids. And maybe you're doing this and you're thinking, I didn't even know I was provoking them. Uh, But if you do it, it's going to do what we're called not to do. One of the ways that we provoke our children is by showing favoritism. When you favor one child over another, guess what? The one that's not favored is going to get provoked. That's just a reality of it. No kid wants to be less than in your eyes than some other child that you have. You know, we saw this. We've been going. We went through the book of Genesis. We're now in Exodus on our midweek. And we definitely saw this. Isaac favored his son Esau. Rebecca favored her son Jacob. And man, there were some big problems because of that. These sons did some sinful things. And then Jacob grows up, gets married, and you would think, well, surely he would understand favoritism's a bad idea. He, he recognized it. He experienced it as a son. No. He shows favoritism to Joseph. And what do the other ten brothers do? They want to kill Joseph, and they ultimately decide just to sell him into slavery. But it provoked them. Favoritism is something that provokes your kids, and we're guilty of it oftentimes. And, you know, maybe there is within your heart a little bit of favoritism. We'll do the best you can not to demonstrate that through your words, through your actions, because that is going to provoke the child who is not favored. Another thing that we can do that provokes our children is disciplining them in anger. You know, I know our kids can get under our skin. Seems like they know just the right buttons to push. They do things that get us angry. That's just a reality for any parent. And the challenge that we have is can we discipline them in love and not anger? And maybe sometimes we just need to send them to their room until we cool down. We need to do something because we know in the moment that we just want to explode and yell and do whatever, that that if we do it right now, it's going to be all in anger. And so I need to recognize that and say, okay, I'm not going to discipline them right here. You're going to sit in your room. You're going to do something. I'm going to cool down, and then I'm going to come and discipline you when I'm not in this place of anger. Because ultimately, if we do it in anger, we're in sin. We're not doing it the way that God's called us to do it. And guess what? It provokes kids. You know, my dad had a tendency to 
to discipline and anger. And, you know, my brother and I especially knew his buttons. Uh, and, you know, we'd get him upset and, you know, he kind of had this um, longer fuse. And so we'd push it and we'd push it and we'd push it. But then all of a sudden, boom, you know, he would explode and he would just get super angry and, you know, it wasn't pretty. But, you know, I knew I was guilty. I knew I was a sinning child. I knew that I deserved discipline. But when my dad went off the handles, all of a sudden I also recognized that's not right. And instead of wanting to respond with repentance of, you know what, I'm wrong, I deserve discipline, I repent, I was just provoked to sin more. Looking at how he responded, that didn't make me want to be repentant. That made me want to just come at and do more sin. And so we just have to be careful as parents, be wise in our discipline, make sure our words and our actions are loving. Our discipline is in love, not in anger. Another way that we can provoke our children is by failing to love and affirm them. You know, our kids need to hear the words, I love you. It's sad when you meet people that they can say, you know what, my dad or my mom, they never said that to me my whole life. It's so important for kids. Oh, my kid knows. Really? Have you told them? Oh, you know, I provide a roof over their head. Have you told them? You know, we have all these things that we think is communicating that, but they need to hear it. They need us to regularly tell them, I love you, especially because they sin and we discipline them, hopefully not in anger. And then they wonder, do you still love me? Yes. I actually discipline you because I love you. They need to hear it, but they also need to be affirmed by us. For some kids, all they ever hear is negative criticism from their parents, but no affirmation. And we got to be careful because we'll spot it, man. We don't want any sin happening. We don't want any disobedience happening. We see the negative stuff, man, and we let them know. Unacceptable, not happening. But are we just as quick to say, that was great, wonderful. Thank you for doing that before I asked you. You know, that was wonderful behavior. Thank you for treating your sibling like you did. You know, are we as quick to affirm their positive good behavior as we are to criticize their negative behavior? And I think we often have a tendency to constantly be criticizing and not affirming the things that they're doing that's good and right. And we need a good balance in that. John Newton, famous for writing Amazing Grace, he wrote this sad statement about his own father. I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. I think a lot of people could echo that statement. He knew it, but he didn't really ever see it demonstrated in a way that would have been what he wanted. My dad didn't really want me to see it. You know, we need to love our kids in such a way that they can see it with our actions, they can hear it with our words, that if anyone were to interview your kids, do your parents love you, that they would be, yes, of course, they show it here and there, and they say it this way, that there'd be no confusion on that. They'd be confident in that because you've done such a great job of communicating that. Do your parents think you do a good job in different areas of your life? Of course, they affirm me all the time. But when we don't love them, we don't affirm them, it provokes them. Another way we can provoke our children, one we're all guilty of, being a hypocrite. If your parenting style is do as I say, not as I do, guess what? You are going to provoke your children. That is one of the most frustrating things for a kid. Oh, I'll tell you what to do, but I'm not going to live it. You have a standard that you have to live up to that I don't have to live up to, and children, they don't want that. Now, I worked with a lot of middle school and high school kids, and that was one of the biggest complaints against parents, that their parents told them to do things that their parents weren't willing to do themselves. That there was a standard for them that wasn't the same standard for their parents. Some of them were there at church, and their parents weren't. you got to be here. I'm not going. The hypocrisy in that. It's frustrating. I remember when I was in high school, I played on a basketball team, and we were in this weekend tournament, and we made it to the championship game. And if you got to the championship game, you played on Sunday. And so we had our Sunday game coming, and our best player, he wasn't allowed to play. His dad says, nope, can't play sports on Sunday. And he was super upset with his dad, not because of the standard that his dad set, 
He was okay with that. The problem he had, that same Sunday, his dad was in a golf tournament. How can you tell me I can't play basketball on Sunday while you're playing golf on Sunday? The hypocrisy provoked him, and it made all of us mad as well. It's like, how can your dad say that? But this is the problem that we often have when we say these things and demand these things of our kids, and we're not willing to be the example of it ourselves. Hey, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to go to church. Yes, they do. But are you reading your Bible and praying and going to church? Are you being the example that's set before them? You need to be kind and loving. Yes. Are you being kind and loving? I mean, these are the things where we can't just do as I say, not as I do. We need to be those examples because when we're not, we're going to provoke them. Those are just four ways. There's many more. But I just bring those up because I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm not provoking my kids. I'm not intentionally provoking them. But if we're doing some of these things, we're going to be. And so we got to be aware that we can provoke them maybe even when we're not intentionally doing it. So we got to be aware of that. Well, now Paul gives us a practical reason why, like he's been doing with all these things. Why shouldn't I provoke my kids? Well, the reason is lest they become discouraged. Now, this is interesting. This Greek word translated discouraged means to be disheartened, dispirited, downcast, depressed. And this word really actually speaks of someone getting to the point where they've lost motivation and want to give up. And I think that's very interesting that that's kind of the heart of this word, that they've lost motivation and want to give up. Why? Because the command from God to them is obey your parents. And I'm sure all of us parents, we want them to do that. But here's the problem. When we provoke them, what does it do? It causes them to lose the motivation and want to give up obeying us. And so our provoking causes them to do the thing that we don't want them to do. We want obedience, but our provoking them makes them lose any desire to do it. I'm done with this obedience. I don't want it anymore. Why? Because my parent provokes me so often. And here's something that I think we just need to be aware of. Perhaps some of the disobedience in your child is a direct result of your behavior towards them. Oh, I want so much obedience. Well, maybe we need to look at our life. And I'm not saying that they get off the hook, that they're not somewhat responsible. But you know what? Maybe there's certain areas of their disobedience that is a direct result of our provoking. And that if we want to see change, maybe we should start looking at the way in which we're parenting, not just the way in which they're obeying. Martin Luther's father was so stern to him that Luther said, you know what? Whenever I pray, I have a real hard time saying, our father. That term father for him was just so negative because his dad was so harsh and severe with him. And he wrote this about parenting that I thought was quite interesting. Spare the rod and spoil the child, it is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give to him when he does well. Let's not lose sight of our duty. Sometimes we just think, man, my only role is to discipline my kids. Yeah, it's part of your role. It's an important role. We need to do it. But if that's all you're focused on and not the encouragement of, hey, when they're doing what's right, am I quick to encourage? Am I there for them to build them up? And I like that statement. You know, yeah, you got the rod, but make sure you got the apple there as well. That when they're doing good, here you go, great job. When you're doing bad, we're going to deal with that too. But it's the balance, and they're both important because we don't want them just to do whatever they want and you know, be little sinners who get in a lot of trouble. We want to correct that behavior. God has given us that role as parents to help our kids learn. But they also need to learn that when I do things right, there's blessing, there's reward. My parents are going to do that, but also my Heavenly Father rewards good behavior. And there's a reason to do these good things, not just to avoid punishment, but also to get reward. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul also tells parents not to provoke their children. But then he says, you know what? In its place, there's something you should do. And I want to finish this challenge with parents with this because, yes, we shouldn't be provokers. But, okay, well, what do I do? I'm not going to provoke, but is there something on the positive side that I should be doing for my kids? Well, yes, there is. Ephesians 6.4 says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So instead of provoking them, and notice here it says to wrath, because that's usually what ultimately is the result of where they get to. 
Instead of provoking our kids, what should we do positively for them? We're told, train, train them up in the admonition of the Lord. Train and admonish them in the Lord. You know, something very important for us to understand as parents is it is the responsibility by God to parents to train and admonish your kids. And I bring that up because I did a lot of youth work. I did a lot of children's church work as a younger man. And this is what I saw. Many parents passed on that spiritual responsibility to children's workers, to youth workers, to youth pastors, to children's pastors. You take on that role of training and admonishing my kid. I'm not doing it. Now, the church is there to help you. The church is there to assist you. But we are not here to remove the responsibility from you. The responsibility that God has given to you is to train and admonish your kids. We're here to help with that. And I think as parents, we need to recognize that because so often we want to pass the buck. And we might think, well, I'm just not qualified. You know, that, that youth pastor's got a seminary degree or, you know, they're, they're maybe more qualified and gifted. Maybe they are more qualified, but guess what? That just means you need to work on being more qualified. That just means you need to work on growing in your relationship with the Lord, not, well, I'm just going to pass on the responsibility. It's recognizing I need to grow so that I can fulfill my responsibility the way that I should. And too often it's like, well, that's way beyond what I can do. Here, you take care of my kids spiritually. You, You deal with this, and I'll just let you have that responsibility. No, God does not want you to pass it on. He wants you to take hold of it, and he wants you to do it well. You know, as Christian parents, we should really have two main goals. The first goal is that we want to bring our kid to a place where we share the gospel with them and they come to know Christ for themselves. That should be the first goal, the most important goal of all, that they come into saving faith in Jesus Christ. But let's not stop there, because that's where it is, ends with a lot of parents. All right, now go and you know learn from you know children's workers. Go and learn from the pastor. Go and learn from others. Now... We go, hey, now that you know Christ, let me be there to help you grow. Let me help you understand his word. Let me be an example to you, which is the most important example that they have of what it means to love people, of what it means to be gracious and merciful. Let me show that to you in my behavior towards my spouse and my behavior towards you and my behavior towards others. Let me be the example that you see that helps you learn what godly character is, what self-control is, what loving behavior is. That that should be our desire. That should be our goal. Because you know what? One of the greatest responsibilities that any parent is given is, man, we have this little child. God says, you are now responsible for that child. Spiritually, I give that to you. Raise them, train them, admonish them in the things of the Lord so they might grow up living for me, and that I might use them to impact the world for my glory. But you know, there's someone who is desperate to keep that from happening. We have an enemy who wants to destroy our lives, but you know what? Even as we looked at last week, he loves to destroy marriages, but he loves to destroy family units. He wants to destroy parents and children and the relationship and the role and the responsibility that God has established. And sadly, when you look at our culture especially, he has been very, very successful. So many, especially fathers, walking out on their kids, not taking on that spiritual responsibility, provoking them, not training them in the admonition and raising them up in the things of the Lord. You know, many of you were raised by parents who didn't do this. Some of them weren't believers at all, or maybe they were believers, but they didn't follow what God's word said. They provoked you all the time. They didn't train you in any way, shape, or form. They passed that on to someone else. And so you're like, I don't even know from experience what that looks like. But the wonderful thing about the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, of the changing work that he can do for us, It's just because you were raised in a way that wasn't right doesn't mean that now that you're a parent, you have to follow in your parents' footsteps. The wonderful news is, hey, I can be different. I don't have to be like them. I don't have to make those mistakes. I don't have to treat my kids in an unloving way. I can be different than they were. I don't have to be angry and harsh and brutal. 
I can be someone who's different because God can change me. And man, when we do that, when we allow God to change us and allow us to be the parents that he's called us to be, the impact it makes on our kids is so huge. And ultimately, the impact it makes on the culture because these kids grow up to be followers of God and they do things that are just amazing for the Lord and the impact that it makes is wonderful. But you know, the greatest father ever is God the Father. And he is our perfect example when we think of like, how should I be gracious? How should I be forgiving? How should I do this? Well, let's look at how God the Father deals with us. He's not harsh. He's loving, he's kind, he's gracious, he's merciful. And the greatest son ever is Jesus the son, and he is an example of how to be a godly child. But you know what? Both God the Father and God the Son demonstrated together the greatest love ever. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God, speaking of the Father, sent his only begotten son, Jesus. Why? He loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the greatest father and the greatest son showed us the greatest love possible. As we do at the first Sunday of every month, it's great for us just to take time in remembering what God has done through communion, but I just want to do something a little bit different than normal. Typically, we're just kind of focused on Christ, focused on his sacrifice, focused on what he's done. And I I don't want to diminish that in any way. I want us to continue with that. But I want us just to add to that, thinking a little more about the sacrifice of the Father as well. Yeah, Jesus was the one who came. Jesus was the one who was nailed to that cross. Jesus was the one who was beaten and whipped. and, And he's the one who shed his blood. But the Father, he sent his Son. And I can't imagine allowing any of my girls to die for anybody, to give them up and to say, you know what, I'll let them suffer a horrible death so that you don't have to. How difficult that would be as a father to allow my child to go through that. It just shows how much the father loves us. And so as we even just picture all that Jesus went through, the father is saying, I am willing for that to happen to my son who is sinless, who hasn't done anything to deserve it, and I'm willing to pour my judgment and wrath upon him. How hard that must have been. Say, hey, I'm going to pour my wrath on you, and then Jesus says something that even shows how horrible this must have been. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Up to that point in all of history, God the Father had never had to forsake the Son because sin was the reason for that forsaking. It was our sin that caused it. And how horrible that must have been. We think for Jesus' sake, of oh, now he's forsaken by himself. Well, the Father had just as much. He's the one who had to do it. How horrible it must have been for him to say, I have to turn my back on my Son because he has the sin of the world on him. And so as we remember what Jesus did this morning, as we take communion Let's just think also about the father. As we're thinking of that parent role, we're thinking of that child role, let's think of the greatest parent-child duo ever and the love that they both demonstrated to us. 